Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to episode 21 of the Business Herald podcast, and this week I'm joined by my two original guests, James Blacklaws and Jamie Cochran. James is Director of JB Commercial Finance, a commercial mortgage specialist helping businesses secure funding when their bank turns them down. He also allows business tenants to purchase their property instead of renting. He's a Norwich City football fan and has a collection of boxing memorabilia. Made all that up, James. I hope you don't mind. That's absolutely fine, Stephen. Jamie is an associate with PBC Business Recovery and Insolvency. He's an accountant by profession and so helps struggling businesses to turn around, avoid insolvency if possible, but if not, guide them through the process in the best possible way. However, Jamie remains a Northampton Saints rugby fan. Welcome along both. Thank you very much. So this week saw the inauguration of Joe Biden as President of the United States. And in the UK, we saw much of the same as what we've seen over the last few weeks. Lockdown. Yay. Um, I went outside once. Um, Hospitality and small businesses have continued to seek more support. Big businesses uh, keep uh, seeking more support. We've had more threats of higher taxes with the budget looming and the realisation that leaving the EU has created more paperwork and higher costs. Surprise, surprise. Um, It seems to have surprised a lot of businesses. So, James, I'm going to come across to you first as our resident economist. Inflation, we're told, inflation rose in December by 0.6%, which is obviously pretty low. Um, And my question is, as we've seen in the news this week, um, shipping costs uh, estimated to be increasing by somewhere between 20 and 40% due to a shortage of containers. Um, there's going to be an extra approximate 7.5 billion in extra costs in customs handling and the extra paperwork required to get goods over from the EU. And that's, uh, in my head, there's an inevitability that's going to increase prices. So does that affect overall inflation? Is that likely to affect overall inflation? And then second question, does that really even matter to most people? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nearly inevitable that inflation is going to continue to increase this year. Um, various forecasts project some quite startling figures. I was actually talking to an economist yesterday, and he believed that it's possible that inflation got up to 7% in 2021, which is a, quite an amazing figure, really. Mm. Um, the impact on the everyday person is such that the goods they buy at the supermarket will cost more money, effectively, or the, good, or the, the petrol they buy in a petrol station will cost more money. Um, the, the difficulty is that the traditional tool for controlling inflation is the Bank of England base rate. So you would increase the base rate to make the cost of money more expensive, which would mean that people had less money to spend on a day-to-day basis. So therefore, the the supply and demand would determine that the price of goods came down. Now, unfortunately, at the moment, the base rate at historically low um, figures, it would be very, very politically challenging to increase base rate because it means that the cost of mortgages go up. And if the cost of mortgages and the cost of borrowing goes up, that's going to put increased pressure on households. So it's a very, very precarious situation. 
um, the government, the Treasury and the Bank of England find themselves in with regard to inflation, because we are almost inevitably going to see substantial inflation increases, but the traditional methods of controlling it don't really exist in the real world situation at the moment for the government. There was a report um, about household borrowing, something like 45% of households have had to borrow at least £1,000 to, to get by, which is a, a, a change um, from where we saw last summer when we were told that actually people had um, increased their savings, increased the amount that they'd been able to set aside in lockdown, um, which seems to suggest that, that people um, started saving some money, saw some benefits of lockdown, um, you know, n- no travel costs, um, you know, no, uh, no work related costs and that kind of thing. Um, not going out, not spending money, had an increase and then have spent money. Lockdown kind of reopened. People have, you know, spent their money. They've, you know, they've done their kitchen, um, you know, redone their kitchen, redecorated and that kind of thing. And now I've got the pinch point again. But when you talk about supply and demand in the in the market, isn't it the case then if people just don't have the money anymore that actually they're not going to go out and buy the stuff? So it, it, does that not control inflation that way? Well, what you've got to consider is the ease of credit. And and even now in this time, it's not difficult to go and raise finance via a, a credit card or an unsecured loan. And not only that, people historically have, credit card facilities they don't fully utilize so if you if you personally had a ten thousand pound credit card which you kept for a rainy day which a lot of people do just in case then a lot of people are using those facilities now um, to actually continue their lifestyle so you're not necessarily seeing an increase in the amount of credit cards and actual debt being issued but the amount of credit card usage is going up and so Yes, you would think that the market would naturally balance itself. But once you factor in the amount of debt that's um, been taken on, um, then that, that's where a lot of this money is coming from, unfortunately. Mm. We've, we've talked um, on every podcast about uh, the kicking of the can down the road in terms of debt, particularly from a business point of view, and the realisation that businesses are going to have to start repaying the deferred VAT, repaying the bounce back loans, um, etc. Um, at the uh, the, the early part of the next couple of months. Um, And Jamie, coming across to you, if those businesses are having those, the the impact of those additional payments to make, um, and on top of that, they're seeing lower demand or less profit because of the cost that they're incurring in terms of, you know, uh, importing from EU um, uh, shipping costs and that kind of thing. That's going to have a massive impact on on businesses and their survivability, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, uh, Stephen. It sort of follows on from that report that you talked about on last week's podcast about the the number of businesses that that, that were that were looking at the FBI. I think not the FBI, um, FSB, F- FSB, yeah. <laughs> FBI, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Um, the FSB looking at... at They're fame. also listening to this podcast, by the way. Yeah, um, as does everyone, I hear. Um, yeah, the KGB uh, are, 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 are really KGB good. are all over it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the 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 problems that, that were caused by the initial lockdown last last March um, were, as, you know, as we've talked about, were, were simply just shoved into this year. Um and the, the the government has to has to do something um, in terms of raising taxes, which is only going to add to the problem. And at some point, 
this debt has to start being repaid um, mm. and you can't just keep pushing the problem further and further away. Um, these schemes, when they originally launched, were, were, yeah, you know, you won't have to make the first repayment in 12 months. And everyone thought when that was when that scheme was launched that we wouldn't be, you know, everything fine. we'll be out of it by then, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we may well have been close to being out of that. I mean, obviously, this, this new variant um, that we've got in the UK has completely changed um, the goalposts, certainly for the UK, compared to other countries, which may actually harm our, our recovery as well in terms of we're having to deal with slightly stricter lockdowns than, than, than some other areas of the world. Um, but yeah, I think it's going back to businesses, it's going to be a massive problem for these businesses because, as you say, turnover isn't going back to the levels that, that everyone thought it would um, and the debt is only going up um, and at some point and, and very shortly the debt's going to start incurring interest and that's only going to make the problem even worse. Yeah. And, and, and James, um, coming back to you, and I've said this before on lots of different podcasts, um, the sad reality is that um, for a lot of people, um, difficulty that they're going to face is also someone else's opportunity. Um, and there's lots of people that might take that opportunity. And James, you've, you've, I think um, we've talked about this before, um, maybe not on the podcast, but uh, privately, um, about tenants taking an opportunity to buy you know their, their commercial property from their landlord because their landlord's fed up for instance um and do you see that um you know that that happening a bit more where actually companies that are doing all right you know, that are you know surviving or more than surviving that you know they, they're growing will take opportunities to grow and more and use that cheap finance to you know to, to grow i i, I Personally, I've seen businesses use bounce back loans and C-bills loans to acquire new other businesses, for instance. Um, yeah, I mean, but- I, I think, as you correctly say, with any kind of crash, there's opportunities and, and vultures do circle. And we've seen consolidation in quite a few industries. Well, we've seen consolidation in a few industries over recent years anyway, but actually there's been quite a few examples of estate agency businesses, accountancy practices, solicitors firms, either being taken over or consolidating since lockdown as the bigger players are able to use their kind of economic advantages to, to buy out smaller competitors. And, and one way of doing that is by utilising the government loan schemes. And there's nothing wrong with that um, as long as it's fully declared to the lender. So, yes, I think there, it is a time where a lot of people have said, you know what, it's a, it's a good time to sell out. And they do that and the larger the larger predator is happy to catch the prey in that respect. With regard to property, I think it's inevitable that there will be an awful lot of commercial property vacant over the upcoming two, three years. Um, A lot of us have got used to working from home. A lot of people who run businesses who were previously, um, previously in large office blocks now have got staff working from home and they may decide they don't need those office blocks anymore. Now, it's not easy just to move away from these properties because you have lease obligations but as these leases drop off i can see certainly a lot of um the office parks you see around the business parks you see around having some quite substantial empty properties and yes that does create opportunities for other players to go in there and potentially take them at reduced prices so my advice to anyone who runs a small business who's relatively solid is now is actually a really good time to consider buying a commercial freehold 
and there's certainly no harm in asking your landlord if he's agreeable to, to purchasing it because he may well be desperate to shed that stock now. Mm. Yeah, you'd see that inevitably you'd see that with, with with smaller landlords you know the private individual or the people that you know maybe have a few handful of um, commercial units um, compared to the institutional investors of course they're the ones that you know just buy it because they've got loads of money and hold on to it and uh, are happy with a yield of three percent so um, obviously depends on who your landlord is and um, what their financial position is I guess more than anything else um, Next question that I've got uh, that I wanted to talk about is is um, is whether or not the government should bail out big organisations. Um, so we've seen this week Eurostar, they're 95% down on their passengers, as you might uh, imagine, no one's travelling, um, and they are, they're struggling and they're seeking a bailout. Um, the French government have said that they'll, uh, or they've already pumped in 200 million euros into it, and the French uh, government are suggesting that the, the UK government should follow suit, seemingly forgetting that the UK government sold their interest in 2015 for 750 million. Um, so there's no longer a direct interest in that organisation. Um, the Channel Tunnel are the same. You know, they're, they're, they, you know, they want a bailout, and we've also seen, you know. Um, airlines and things like that, like EasyJet, um, you know, seeking a, a bailout. Um, previously, we had the car industry, you know, they, they were after bailouts as well. And the question, I guess, is this, should the government actually bail out big organisations like that, because they are so fundamental to the infrastructure of the UK, for instance, and our relationships with the EU in the future? Um, or has the support that's been put in place already if that's not sufficient, then should should we, the taxpayer, really have to put up the, um, you know, the, the goods to, uh, to to help them out? Jamie, what do you think? Should bailouts still happen? Um, I think if we go back to like the last time the government obviously did massive bailouts back in you know, 2008-9, following that financial crash, they were bailing out institutions in the banks that would have affected the vast majority of the UK population in terms of having having savings and um, loans and mortgages and in in those institutions whereas something like the channel tunnel for example um is it how many people in the uk does that actually affect again that is probably quite a lot of us in terms of the freight that comes through it but there Mm -hmm. are other alternatives um i suspect that the french government's attitude on that point is um it probably matters a damn sight more to the people living in the uk than it does in in france um in terms of supply and uh, for us um although as we've saw um with the uh, the issues caused um by the uh, the the french closing their borders just before christmas that actually um most big retailers in the uk saying it's not a problem we get stock in through um either unaccompanied freight or um other means that, that it comes into the country so i guess it, it comes down to, to how important it is as, as an institution to to every every member of, of the population and but then I suppose if you look at the likes of EasyJet and it's you know why would why are you supporting one airliner you know airline company over another one um, if others have been able to to manage it um, let's look at that Virgin for example used the uh, the restructuring plan which was a new um, insolvency plan that was introduced. Um, by the government as um, in as their response one of their responses to the pandemic um, 
you know, they went and used the solutions that the government had put in place, whereas the others, EasyJet, just appear to be going, give us cash, please. Um, and they, it's obviously that Virgin were able to obtain some new finance from somebody who believed in their business model. But presumably, if the fact that EasyJet want a bailout means that they've tried to obtain finance and have struggled, and that must therefore have an indication that, that, that maybe then that business isn't as strong as they thought it was. Yeah, EasyJet have found finance. They're just hemorrhaging cash um, constantly. And I think it's one of those, um, there's always that issue with the fundamentals of a business. Uh, If you keep chucking cash at a business and it still seems to be making losses and and, and never really turning profit, there might be some fundamental issue. Um, Coming back to to Eurostar, Eurotunnel, um, I I think what you're saying is, in effect, so those those projects were were effectively they are um, uh, nationalised. That's a nationalised project. It was owned by the government, and there's only one of them. There's only one Eurostar. There's only one Eurotunnel because that's the only thing that's built. And therefore, um, if that operator fails, that the line, the connection between the two countries fails. Whereas if EasyJet failed, then well, it's just a private company that fails, and that happens day in day out across the country. So why should we particularly worry about it? Apart from obviously the impact on jobs in the economy, uh, it, it's 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 more much more of a private uh, basis. James, what do you think? Do you think um, big organisations like that should still get bail bailouts? It's a tricky one. I come from obviously the banking world, and uh, the banking bailout in 08 was the, the largest corporate bailout in, in UK history. But I think there's a few fundamental differences, as Jamie's alluded to there. I mean, first of all, if the banks had failed, you wouldn't be able to go to a cash point and take out 50 quid, which is a real problem for everyone in the country. Secondly, I think people sometimes forget that um, the government took a very, very substantial share in the in the banks, um, over 80% for the RBS group and over 40% for the Lloyds group. Um, following that so they had they had um, something back and also the third thing which I guess again other people forget is that the banks fully repaid the government um, since then so the government actually actually made a significant profit on on the bailout in 2008 and I'm not sure the same would happen with this in this particular case Um, I I tend to agree with Jamie that I'm, I'm not sure it's in the public interest to, to bail out these companies unless it can be shown to be an investable proposition by the government to do so. And I'm not sure the public have appetite at the moment for any more bailouts. Um, what would the political situation be for a government, especially a conservative government, a, a right-wing conservative government, if they started bailing out private companies? Where does that end? If my my local greengrocers fails, can he... Can you go to the government and say, I need £100,000, please? Well, what's the difference? I'm not sure. So I think it's a slippery slope. I'm not sure it's a good argument for a Conservative government to make in a time that we're in now. But on the other hand, it's a lot of jobs. It's a real sign of us going backwards if we cut off that rail link to France. I think the other thing that just occurred to me whilst James was talking was how much opposition has the government had to actually spending money on building a new railway line in HS2? that um, this railway line is is not very commonly known, but it is HS1 in itself. And actually, if um, we're not prepared to spend money building something new um, that will improve things, then what's the difference in spending money to, to keep something that we've already built um, kind of there? That's effectively just, just loaning them money rather than actually 
you could argue that you know the building of HS2 would create jobs. It would um, it would stimulate the economy in some ways. It would. Um, I mean, it's obviously already started, and you can see actually, it just appears at the moment. It just appears to have stimulated the archaeology industry. And let's be honest, evacuate uh, moving thousands of corpses up from London Euston and um, near New Street in Birmingham as well. It does seem to ponder why um, railway stations need to be built on graveyards, but that's a very interesting uh, point. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I, I think my, well, my view on, on the bailout thing is, um, is that this government uh, should, should simply, it, it's already put in place facilities to allow companies to borrow. And there's, I, James, I can't remember what it's called, but there's, there's a C-bills for mega amounts as yeah, well, isn't there? The Corona Large Business Loan Scheme, it's as simple as that, yeah. Yeah, and, and that is a, that's a facility where the government are offering, you know, big amounts to big big organisations. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it has to just, you know, stand its ground there and say, well, look, the, the facilities are there for you to be able to borrow the cash right now um, and, and go down that route. And hopefully then it all gets back to normal, um, you know, when when we're out of the, uh, the woods, as it were. Um, Third question that I've got for you guys. There's a report um, that said more than a third of consumers have been blocked from paying with cash during the coronavirus pandemic as shops switch to electronic payments only. Um, and, uh, and the report uh, highlighted one concerning incident involving a diabetic man in urgent need of food after his blood sugar levels had dropped. The man who stopped off at a service station after getting stuck in traffic was eventually able to pay in cash at a KFC after being denied in two other restaurants. Um, so uh, I don't know if that was the, the entirety of the survey conducted. I think it was probably wider than one guy. Um, but uh, yeah, the report said that um, one in 20 people said that they re rely on cash. Um, HMRC, if you're listening, there's, there's people, um, go after them. Um, one in seven said that they would struggle without it. Um, so, Jamie, what do you think? Do you think the, the country now going through you know, coronavirus and not having cash, do you think we could sack off cash and move to cashless only? Well, what, what's my nan going to give me for Christmas in an envelope? It's like... <laughs> You know, you can't, a link can't. link to a Bitcoin, I think. Yeah, so it's just. Um, I mean, I've 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 got you know. I think my wife's birthday was like the middle of March. I think she got given cash for a birthday. I don't think we've actually been able to bank it. I don't know what we we can't spend it. It's just sort of sitting there, not being able to do anything with it. It's just. Um, I think. I mean, there's always going to be. I think there'll always be some need for cash. I think it's. Uh, Certainly for the next few years. I mean, the, you know, if the check is still clinging on, um, then I'm, I'm sure sort of, you know, the check needs to die before cash um, does, I think, first. Um, you know, you know, think think of your, your kids' holidays. You, you can't just sort of contactless against, a, you know, a 2P machine. It's, you know, the sort of the simple delights of the amusement arcade. Just don't, you need one. Well, you need cash for, for many things. Um, you know, if, if I was to get a little bit more, you know, kind of, you know, your, your late night um, your sort of clubs, you know, can you contactless them? I don't know. They, I think they prefer cash, don't they? So, I think they prefer cash, but that's that's possibly the <laughs> other point about the reason why cash might be eradicated in the system because you know people people do cash jobs. You know, the hospitality industry, um, renowned for taking cash and, and perhaps not declaring all of it. 
um, and uh, and therefore avoiding tax. And you have your you know your average you know man in the street doing cash jobs you know on the side or or even as part of the you know the core business sometimes. Um, so it's, you know, there is there is that cash economy in um, in China. They've um, they've obviously introduced their digital uh, yam. You, what do they? Yeah, renminbi. Um, the digital renminbi, which um, is, uh, is is not digital in the way that Bitcoin is digital. It is you know just money in banks, but it's all then it's you know it's cashless, and you pay by you know scanning your face on a uh, on a um, face detector uh, thing. It's how you pay for goods in shops, and you can you know therefore easily transfer money from friends to friends um, via an app that the the government has released. Um, and the government gave uh, the government in China just gave out um, I can't remember how much, but you know, hundred quid for everybody uh, in China just to kind of start them getting used to this new system rather than the old paper system. Um, James, what do you think? Do you think there'll there'll be a time? Maybe maybe not initially. You know, maybe not the next five five years or so. But do you think there'll be a time where cash is just not used? Well, first of all, I want to say I've never heard a more convincing argument to keep cash in society than love of the Donkey Derby 2P machines and a dirty burger after the nightclub. But um, <laughs> that, that aside, um, I do believe there's a need for cash. I certainly would like to see the end of the check. The check is an absolute pain for business. It's a pain for the economy and it's a pain for the banks. The eradication of the check can't come quick enough. Um cash itself i think there's always going to be a place for it i can't see it fading away for generations to come albeit you're absolutely right in that now increasingly card payments for retail outlets seem to be not only preferred but almost insisted upon and you almost feel a bit of a leper if you hand over a 20 pound note as opposed to a card in fact there have been times when i've tried to use a note um where they've looked at me like i'm some kind of fool and handed me the card machine i said well, actually no I've, I've got a note here so I think I think it is naturally going to die away, but I can't see a time. I just can't see a time where cash goes completely. I really can't. Albeit, I'm sure HMRC would very much like that to be the case. I was in. I, I I'm I'm pretty much like the Queen. I don't carry uh, cash, um, and I'm married to a rich German husband. Um, no, the last bit was true. Um, I don't carry cash. And um, I, I was in a shop once and I brought all the stuff and then thought, do you know what? I, I, yeah, no, I will have a carrier bag. And, um, and then there are 5p. And, um, and I had to pay on card. And, and it's one of those things that's just, that's nonsense, really. It is nonsense. But um, I didn't have any cash, didn't have any change, don't carry it. So that's my only option. Um, is to uh, is is to pay on on contactless. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I I think um, say I I the only cash that I get is occasionally in in birthday cards, Christmas cards, that um, that type of thing, and everything else is just all in the bank. It's electronics, direct debits, like contactless. Got it on the watch. Um, you know, if you're a McDonald's fan, drive-throughs, get an Apple Watch because they're just the best for making payments. Um, you don't even have to get your wallet out. And um, yeah, I, I, I think I think I, it, it's not something that's short term. It's definitely not going, you know, going to be eradicated in five years. But I can imagine a um, I can imagine a scenario within twenty years where cash is you know is literally a relic. I don't ever think it will get to a point where it's banned or kind of you know outlawed as you might you know see in kind of sci-fi movies. Um, but I can I can fully see where you know a, a scenario where 
shops are like they've done recently with, you know, well, we don't want to touch um, cash because of the coronavirus, actually just go, well, it's easier. It's easier for us because from a from a retail outlet's point of view, it means there's no theft, no, you know, there's no, um, you know, cash going astray. Um, there's no worry about, um, you know, fake um, counterfeit money being used. So it reduces all their risks. And then it's easier to um, to admin as well. So when cash gets put in um, the till, someone's got to bank it. So you've got to get... Well, that's, you know, that's one of the, the, the issues, especially for smaller retailers with high street banks shutting branches left, right and centre. I mean, for instance, the local, there's been an announcement this week that the local HSBC in Odeby, where I live in Leicestershire, is going to close. And the, the nearest HSBC now is the city centre, which for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know the area, is probably about half an hour drive and five quid's worth of parking away, or Market Harborough, which is about a 12-mile drive away. So for the shopkeeper there, and there's a couple of quite large shops, you probably take a couple of thousand quid a day, they've now either got to put it in a safe with the security and insurance risks of that, take it out with the, the risks, or they've got to drive and lose an hour of their day just to pay cash in, mm. which surely can't be a good use of their time as business owners. No. And so you can, you can understand from a retailer's point of view or a shopfront point of view, how and why cash could easily be turned down and said, do you know what? We don't do cash anymore. Yeah. We first of all we blamed it on coronavirus, but actually now we've realised we don't have to make a trip to the bank anymore. We don't have to worry about getting charged by the bank for cashing our cash. We don't have the risk. We don't have the theft, and it's just it goes into our account. We can reconcile our account. We know where we're at on a daily basis, and it's just just makes it a lot easier. So I, I can see that um, eventually cash uh, will be negligible in uh, in the economy. I mean, but there we go. Long, how long before a small business? Actually, you know, normally you used to have to, you know, there was a minimum payment on the card. And if you didn't, you used to have a charge for that. How long before there's actually a charge for paying by cash? Um, quite, 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 quite well be. Well, the, uh, ironically, there is for the bank. So if you go, if you go into the bank and put your, you put your cash in and pay it in, they, they, they will charge you. They charge you what two percent per yeah, something like that for the tariff. But it can, it can be for retailers. Certainly in my days, I used to have retailers who'd pay hundreds of pounds a month in bank charges simply for the benefit of actually having to pay cash in. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're, I can imagine there would be a cost attached to it. Um, gentlemen, is there anything that's caught your eye this week that, um, that you thought was interesting, funny, you know, that you want to discuss, Jamie, come to you. Yeah. I, uh, I quite liked the story yesterday about the bloke I've never heard of, uh, cause he's a call of duty gamer, um, from America. Um, he's had to retire from professional gaming because of a thumb injury. Um, and it's opened my world to an entire new leagues and there are teams that play these online games and uh, yeah no it's uh, I thought that was uh, I mean obviously I suspect he's had an absolute fortune by the age of 25 for uh, for doing this anyway but... yeah this is uh, Thomas Paparato who plays under the name of Zuma for the New York Subliners esports team he uh, he has a thumb injury and the quote that made me laugh the most was he said, it breaks my heart. And I'm like, that is some thumb injury, isn't it? That it breaks his heart as well. Um, yeah, there's another quote where he said it's the hardest thing he's ever had to write. And I'm not sure if that's because he's, <laughs> is that the, the emotional thing or actually the physical pain of just typing a tweet out? That is, uh, that is it, isn't it? Um, esports, though, um, I, I literally no real interest or idea about it. But what I do know is it's a massive, massive economy. 
Um, and and in, the, in the same way as like, you know, the Fortnite economy, which I think I've talked about on a previous podcast and, um, you know, the, the, the whole concept of money within a game being spent. Esports is, is it. And I've read reports that, you know, value it as being as much as live sports, um, you know, and there's a there's a real growing trend for, um, you know, for esports. And, and like you said, this guy plays for a team like, wow. Yeah, plays for a team. I mean, I'm sure he's earning absolute millions out of it. Does this team have like merchandise that you can buy the shirt, or I don't know? Is like does that stuff exist? Or I, I suspect uh, I suspect so. It's um, because I, I I know from you know from friends and family, kids they what what they do nowadays is sometimes they play games, but sometimes they just watch other people playing games. That's that's what they do, and um, that's the whole you know the whole thing. James, are you into esports? Well, I think that that slightly passed me by um, esports. Um, I'm of the generation of the Spectrum and the Amiga. Yeah. Do they so, um, do they have computers in Norwich? They, they, we did. We were late late receiving them, but we got there in the end. <laughs> um, but but now I, I have some to some areas of the town have just switched on electricity. I understand. They're still working on um yeah the print <laughs> the printing press in a lot of Norfolk. To be fair, but um they'll they'll catch up. <laughs> they'll catch up. You know, esports has kind of passed me by. I like a game of FIFA myself. My my kids have nagged me for a long time to get onto the the PlayStation online community thing, and we're just about broken me to do it. But um, it is a it's a massive industry. It's something which is alien to a lot of people, maybe my generation and older. But it's um it's only increased in popularity as people aren't able to leave the house. Well, yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. While we may have gone to a nightclub or a pub when we were younger, they're all sitting around a computer screen eating popcorn and playing um, Call of Duty or something. So, so fair enough. Yeah, it was interesting to know all the Formula One drivers. That's the one thing they turned to when they couldn't race at the beginning of last year. They all started e-racing each other. Yeah, and the, 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 they were the, all the, they were as good with a control as they were driving a real car, which just seemed amazing. But um, and I know, I know, uh, May, I can't remember what it was, summer, maybe the summertime, um, but it might have been May because that felt like summer. Um, the Premier League put on esports with, you know, a, a member of each Premier League squad playing FIFA. And because there was no sports on at the time, I did find myself watching it. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was, um, that's how good it is. They, they reckon that, um, uh, that, Esports will have more viewers than any other um, sports professional leagues except the NFL. And this is in America by 2021. Um, and by 2024, they reckon that there'll be an, uh, a global esports audience of nearly uh, a billion global viewers. Um, and s- s- soccer at the minute, f- football um, is, you know, estimated to be watched by, you know, about half the the world so you know let's say four billion so but that's pretty high up to get a billion viewers you know um globally on esports and the nfl um, stats are merely completely um it's kind of um changed and uh manipulated by the fact that most of the american population watches the super bowl they, all they do is watch one game because it's a complete <laughs> family day They're not, not many of them actually follow the season regularly sure. yeah, yeah. I've I've tried to watch NFL before. It's just one of those things that I don't get. And then there's another ad break. Let's go to an ad break. Um, that's it my experience. Of it. Breaks, um, yeah, 
which is very suitable for American television. So uh, and I know you have the ability to watch an LFL match um, down in an hour. So you only get the actual action. It's quite a good watch and I do quite enjoy it. But um, yeah, a four hour advert break is um, quite hard to swallow, really. Yeah, no, I've been to a few of the games in, in London and it's you do spend more time not watching the game than you do actually watching the game. It's, uh, yeah. In fairness, it's, it's probably similar to like if, if a non-English or a non-cricket playing country was to look at a, a four-day test match in cricket, they would go, what, what is this? How, is it take, how does it take four days? And it's incredibly boring. But it's great fun to go to a test match. I mean, I've been to test matches and not watch much cricket, I'll be honest, because there's normally lots of drinking going on. But it's good fun to go to a test match, isn't it? That's probably the same principle. James, is there anything that um, that caught your eye that uh, that you thought was, was interesting worth discussing? Well, I guess something which will impact a lot of businesses is, is the ruling around insurance companies. Um, and the, the steps that have been taken to force insurance companies to pay out yeah. for business disruption COVID. I know that it's been heralded as a, as a bit of a breakthrough, and I think the reality is slightly different. But certainly it'll be interesting to see the next step of this and whether insurance companies can be forced to pay out for business interruption insurance. I'm sure that will affect a lot of people who are listening to a podcast like this. Yeah, definitely. So this is, this is insurance that, um, that people took out sometimes inadvertently, I'll be honest, which uh, said or, or suggested that if their business was closed um, due to certain incidents, incidences, including pandemics, um, that they would have uh, protection, they would get um, you know, a payment from the insurance company. And, um, and it's, they've done really quite well in the, um, in the legal world to escalate it so quickly to the Supreme Court the Supreme Court weren't really having any of it and, uh, and, and turned around and said, no, you've got to, uh, got to make these payments. But we're talking about one and a half billion pounds worth of payments from insurance companies. And if I know insurance companies, they'll find another way to try and minimise or mitigate the amount of payments that they've got to make to these people that are, are you know, clinging on for, uh, for support. Um, and, I, and I've had, had a, lot of, uh, a few clients, not a lot, a few clients, um, ask me about uh, some of their policies. And, and I guess the, the thing to note for anybody listening is that just because you have a policy that mentions um, certain aspects of it doesn't necessarily mean that you're guaranteed to pay out. The decision of the Supreme Court doesn't mean that every ins- insurer is going to have to pay out to anybody that makes a claim, but it does hopefully ease that situation to make sure that some people do get some payments where you know, it's, it's specifically required. Um, one of the things that the insurers were arguing is that this all, all of the claims were were add-ons effectively and an and add-on to the existing policies. And they were they, their argument was, well, if you wanted business insurance, um, interruption uh, protection insurance, then you should have taken out a separate policy. Um, so someone like Wimbledon, for instance, they have a separate policy that costs them an absolute fortune but covers them for, I think, um, three quarters of a billion pounds of revenue if they can't put on the event for any reason. And, and so they get, they get covered. They, that was fine. They took out a specific policy for it. Um, and so I think there'll be this, uh, I, I'm, I get accusations because I'm a lawyer, but uh, I think there'll be plenty of lawyers crawling over um, this for the, for the next you know, foreseeable future in terms of claims, and that'll be claims against insurance companies, but perhaps more... Uh, likely claims against brokers 
um, for uh, either failing to put in place the right insurance or not advising properly on it. But yeah, an interesting one. And hopefully it floods down to businesses that need it. Well, we've got one client that we're advising at the moment that's in the, the travel industry. Um, and uh, if he doesn't get the payout, the company will have to, go into, have to cease trading against liquidation. If he does get the payout, the company's completely solvent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's that much of a difference for him. Um, he's probably still thinking he's had enough, and it'll be a solvent liquidation if it uh, if it if, it, if he does get the payout. But um, yeah, he's, he's sort of and he's and he's not wanting to make the decision to to put it into liquidation, insolvent liquidation, in case that's a reason the insurance company come up with with, with for not paying. Mm. Um, so yes, it's it it there's there are going to be companies where it is going to make a massive difference on. Yeah, insurance companies are absolutely a pet hate of mine um, because you, you pay them, people pay them because they think they're going to be covered. And then it turns out there's not because you didn't read the terms and conditions properly. Um, and insurance companies find it their purpose to wriggle out of uh, insurance. But aren't we all going to be paying more on our home insurance, car insurance and every other type of insurance just to cover the cover any payments they have to make out over here, aren't we? So we're all going always to- insurance companies never lose out. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on um, this week's episode of the Business Hell podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed for having us, Stephen. Thanks very much, Stephen. And for everybody listening at home, thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you do like the podcast, then uh, feel free to subscribe, leave a review on um, your podcast provider's page, um, and, uh, and tune in next week. We also have a, a, an email newsletter that comes out to your inbox every th- uh, Friday at three o'clock. You can sign up to that at www.businessherald.co.uk. Once again, thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next week. also noticed that a couple of times i get right to the end and then you finish and then you and then you put the some then you put the funny bit what are you guys doing for the weekend staying in and sitting on the sofa or you got anything else on no i, I, I think I, yeah i think it might be something like that <laughs>